Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today we're going to do the promised second part uh, of my conversation with Paul Laverne, who is a registered psychotherapist. He works on a variety of issues, but one of his specialties is working in the area of porn addiction. He helps people get free of pornography. I advertise his services wherever I go when I'm speaking on porn because he is phenomenal at assisting clients in getting free of this addiction especially young men. And so as often as I can, I I have a podcast with him and we discuss a lot of the questions that I get when I'm speaking on porn at high schools across North America, because his professional and personal experience in this area, I think is so needed by so many people. And so I had uh, had him on a couple of weeks ago and promised to have him on again the following week. But unfortunately, our flights crossed and we had to cancel our interview twice. And then I was in in Africa for 10 days. And so now uh, we finally managed to reconnect in one of the hours he had in between talking to clients. And so here is the promised part two of the conversation. I think it was very much worth waiting for. Uh, Please do send this to anybody you know who's struggling with pornography, this and the part one. Uh, So many people I know who have gone to Paul have successfully gotten free of porn. And so anybody who needs some hard truths, but some good truths about what porn addiction is like and how they can get free, send them these shows. That's why I do them. So without further introduction. Here's my part two of my conversation with Paul Laverne. Okay, Paul, so uh, everybody was expecting this episode to come out immediately after the last one, but both you and I were flying various places. We got delayed, but this is the promised follow-up to our first conversation. And uh, those of you who haven't listened to part one, please go back. We talked about the state of the public nature of the the porn conversation. And then what we were doing was we were getting into a bunch of commonly asked questions that especially teens and young people have about porn addiction, about how to get free of pornography. And so when I'm speaking at high schools, I very often refer people to you if they're interested in talking to a professional about how to get free of pornography. And this is kind of an introduction to both my work and yours. My work spreading awareness about the nature of the problem and your work as a professional, helping people walk on that journey to getting free of pornography. And so uh, I had asked you a couple of questions at the end of the last podcast, and I want to jump back into where we left off. And I want to start with a a question I got just a couple of weeks ago. I got a call uh, from a young woman. Um, who who said that she'd found out somebody she'd been dating for a couple of years. As it turns out, uh, he'd been addicted to pornography when he was quite young and that um, there had been multiple relapses during their dating relationship that she had just found out about. Um, yeah. Of course, whenever I hear a story like that, I always think multiple relapses are probably a lot closer together than he was willing to admit because if the wiring is all there, um, the likelihood uh, of, of sustained porn use, I, I think, is probably... Probably, um, probably more likely. Yeah. What would you say if a young woman came to your office and said exactly what she told me? Okay, Paul, um, I just found out this guy. I love him very much. We've been dating for a couple of years. We've been thinking about getting married. Mm-hmm. He's been looking at pornography. What are my next steps? Do I break up? Uh, do I take a pause while he gets free of pornography? Um, yeah. How can I trust him now that he's he's made this admission um, to me? And then the big question, which I've gotten three times in the last two months, is what does clean mean? When he tells me, okay, now I'm clean, what, what does that mean for me? And then what would that mean for you as a professional? Okay. 
Okay, you actually asked me about six questions, Arizona. Mm -hmm. I, I expect that from you. So um, <laughs> I'll, I'll try to I'll try to I'll try to get through them all, and, and uh, you know what whatever I forget, just just repeat it or bring it back to me. So mm -hmm. first thing I would say, and and thank you for for bringing that up, because this is um, you know I hear this a lot as well, and this is uh, a really common issue, and this is happening more and more. So the first thing I would say to this young woman is you must take this very seriously. Okay. You have to take this as seriously as if he said, I have a heroin or meth addiction, but I'm clean now. Okay. And this actually has as much or more potential to destroy all of your future happiness and your future plans together. If it is not addressed. The second thing is it's worse than you think. Okay. So he's probably embarrassed and ashamed and uh, will be greatly downplaying and or minimizing the nature or extent of the problem. So you have to be careful for vague phrases like I've struggled with pornography. I have no idea what that means. Do you? I don't know what that means. Okay. Or I've had issues with it. Right. Um, or, you know, it's been a bit of a thing in my life. So if this guy was my client, I'd be, you know, within 10 minutes, I'd know exactly what's going on because I'd say, okay, how often do you use pornography? How many, like, then I break it down. How many times a week? How many times a day? Okay. So I know, I want to know, I want to know, I want clarity. So I want to know when you say you struggle with pornography and, and I want to be fair. Like, I want to hear what he actually has to say. Of course. Because he may think a struggle with pornography was like every two or three months I slip up for five minutes and I masturbate. Because he actually has very high standards for himself. So, good. Okay. So, if he says every two or three months I slip up for five minutes and look at porn, then, and that's actually what's going on, then the solution is simple. It's like, thank you for being honest with me. I need, from now on, I need to know when this happens. And I need you to be open and honest with me. And I'm not going to judge you or shame you. This is the woman talking to him. Okay. But this cannot be a secret in our relationship. And my boundaries around this issue are, which leads me to my next point. What are your boundaries around this issue? So, for example, if I'm dating a girl, I have a zero tolerance policy for this girl using heroin okay seems fair I, I have a zero tolerance policy for this girl using meth or snorting cocaine okay um now that I did I, I that might be different for say something like cannabis you know and my my wife who I married to now doesn't really use cannabis but was a throughout her 20s used a lot of cannabis and, and, you know, I had a conversation with her when we were dating that, you know, like, if you're the kind of person that like once a month or so gets together with friends and smokes a bit of weed and, you know, I'm, I, I don't really have an issue with that if it's not interfering with anything else in your life. But if you're the kind of person that needs to get stoned multiple times a day, I don't think that, that this is, this is going to work out. That, that's exactly what I told her. I was just very straightforward with her. And and I'm not, I, you, you might say, well, that's awfully judgy. It's like, well, not really, because someone that has to smoke weed multiple times a day is that that's a symptom of other problems. And 
at this stage of things, I'm not really interested in taking on those other problems, right? So young woman, if you're listening to me, you are completely 100% okay if you have a zero tolerance policy in your relationship for pornography, okay? Mm-hmm. You have been brainwashed and groomed by our culture to tolerate this and you do not need to, right? And this does not, please listen, not make you a prude, make you judgy, make you uptight, or anything else that the culture wants to throw at you for this, right? Like, am I prudish because I don't want to date a girl that shoots heroin? Does that make me uptight? No, it makes me smart, okay? It makes me aware of the, the problems that this can produce. So uh, it's, it's you, you have the right to set your boundaries. I'm trying to recap here, but maybe uh, trying to recap. So you have the right to set your boundaries. It's worse than you think, and you need to get clarity on what's actually going on. So let, let, let's go to like a more worst case scenario, okay? So uh, he watches porn every day, let's say. And there's a continuum between I slept every two or three months. And then you're not an addict, by the way, if that's what's going on. Okay. But if you're using it compulsively, and that means by definition that uh, he has tried to cut back or stop and he's been unable to do so. You want to ask him that. Have you tried to cut back or stop this behavior? Yes. What's happened? I keep coming back to it. Okay. And are you keeping, do do you continue to do this even though there's negative consequences? Do you feel bad? Do you feel ashamed? Do you have to hide it? Is it interfering with your day-to-day life? Yes. Okay. Now we're into the realm of this is an addictive behavior. Because I, I wouldn't, I would interject there and just say that 98% of the audience listening to this is going to be Christian. And so even if they slip up every couple of months, it's going to have a negative effect on their life because even if it's not affecting a relationship or their job or any of that kind of thing, it mm. is going to bother them because they know it's a moral failing. Yeah, for sure. And they're, they're also at risk of developing an addiction. Okay. So if a person never uses porn, they have zero risk of being addicted to it. I'm just stating the obvious. And if you use it occasionally, you have a slightly higher risk of becoming addicted to it and so on. It is a slippery slope, right? So let's say your your boyfriend says, well, yeah, I'm actually like, it's a few times a week or every day. I have intrusive thoughts. It feels like an urge, a compulsion. It's really hard for me to quit this. Then now the conversation switches to you need help and you need a plan. You need a plan. So you you have to sit down and figure out a plan. So if you have no idea what that looks like, then call me or or someone that's trained in this. Okay, I'm not, I'm not just here to promote myself, but anyone that has training and experience in this can help you figure out what that plan looks like. And the plan starts with abstinence. If you're, as a woman and as a Christian woman, not okay with the fact that your boyfriend or future husband pulls out his penis and masturbates while he fantasizes about having sex with three, five, 10, or 20 other different women a week who are not you, 
well, then you have the right to say, I'm not okay with that and that needs to stop. So that means total abstinence. And for a lot of people, it involves getting help from a therapist like myself or think of me as a coach, if that makes you feel better, okay? I'm gonna give you a game plan, okay? It's just like, you know, you play hockey or, or football or baseball and you sit down before the game with a team meeting and they're like, okay, we're playing the New England Patriots today. What's our game plan? We don't just go out and see what happens. You know, the plan isn't score more points than them, right? And that's the vague approach a lot of people want to take with this. Now, if you're the guy listening to this, if you're if you got dragged into this because you, <laughs> your girlfriend or your fiance dragged you in to listen to the Jonathan Van Maren show, this Paul guy, okay, and you're here, okay, listen, don't be in denial about this if this is an issue, okay? If this is an issue, no shame, no judgment. The reward center of your brain has been hijacked by a supernormal stimulus and you never stood a chance. Okay. And listen, I want to say this, especially Jonathan, to your crowd, Christians. Okay. There's enough shame to go to the moon and back. And I'm not about that. Okay. You're not a bad person for looking at pornography. Oh, but it's a sin. Yes, I understand that. But that a sin is a behavior. Okay. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means that you're a good person that engages in bad behaviors. And you're not a bad Christian for looking at pornography. Okay? So I really want to make that clear. And I, I really want to take the shame and stigma out of this because, Jonathan, this is what keeps guys from getting help. Okay? And I know, like, you're a straightforward shooter like I am, but I also know your heart. And I know you're not out shaming and judging these people. Okay? The struggle is real, okay? I, 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 I was there, I'm 19 years sober, but I was there where you are, okay? And I know what it's like. And I want you to know there's hope, but you need a plan. So you get into a group, you find a therapist, start out, go on Gabe. Oh, by the way, Reboot Nation. We couldn't think of Gabe Dean's website last time. Reboot Nation. Go to Reboot Nation. Check out Porn Free Radio. Check out Jonathan's stuff. Check out um, fight the new uh, drug. You you fight the new drug, okay? Culture reframe. No fap. No fap, okay? Books, tons of books out there. YouTube channels. Dr. Trish Lee, L E I G H, all about the dopamine in the brain. Start to educate yourself, okay? Because listen, you are not alone, okay? So help is possible, and start with the free resources, okay? And, and if that's not enough, then get some professional help, okay? And there's guys like me that um, that do one-on-one. -on -one. And there's also uh, Carl, Carl Thomas, who I interviewed on my YouTube channel, runs the small groups online. If you're a Christian guy, Google this, small groups online. Go Google that. Pick a day of the week and join a group of Christian guys who will be there to support your recovery. You're welcome, Carl, Okay it's there's stuff there guys okay i don't want you to hide anymore okay it, it says in john i think if we walk in the light as he's in the light the blood of jesus cleanses from all sins the way i translate that into psychological language is when the room's dark and you don't you can't see what's up you turn the light on and then it's clear 
So turn on the light and it's clear. And you need to develop, I'm talking to this couple, this hypothetical couple that you're talking about here. Listen, you need to start having an open and honest relationship based on transparency and vulnerability. Okay. And what that means is we're, we're setting a target. The target is I abstain from porn. If I slip up, I'm going to tell you within 24 hours. That, that's a rule I establish with all my clients. So a question about that. Yeah. Um, I'm accountability partner for a bunch of different people. And I get talked to a lot about this issue for obvious reasons. And one of the things I'm always torn on, so I can think of, well, sheesh, probably more than a dozen examples that are all kind of car crashing in my head as you're talking, um, of instances where the husband had struggled with porn quite a bit. Um, many of them have been clean for long stretches. I know one guy who was clean for years and then, and then, and then slipped up again, his accountability partner knows, but his wife doesn't. And some of the advice is, um, after you spend all this time rebuilding the trust, it's important for you to have accountability. It's important for it to get caught. It's, a, it's important for your accountability partner to be appropriately hard with you. Yeah. Not shaming you, but talking to you like a guy talks to a guy, right? Like, yeah. uh, you know, this is a big deal. We're going to fix this. Yeah. You know, you, you definitely, okay. So sorry that you can't have that iPad. It looks like right now you're not as clean as you thought you were that sort of thing. Yeah. Is it always healthy for the intimate partner to be the accountability partner? If it tears down all the trust each time? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Such a great question. So the, the quick answer is your wife or girlfriend should never be your accountability partner. Okay. However, there needs to be transparency. So I'm going to ask the partner. Okay. So I'm going to say, Miss, Miss partner, let me ask you what you need to feel safe emotionally. So Knowing your husband texts Jonathan Van Maren if he has a slip up and Jonathan gives him the straight goods and he learns from it and, and is committed to progressing, committed yep. to progressing. Yeah. Okay? Fighting, do not you, struggling, I always say. Yeah. Do you need to know that he looked at porn last Tuesday at nine for 15 minutes? If the answer is yes, you need to know that, then, then you need to tell your wife. If your answer is, you know what, I trust that you are staying in touch with Jonathan. I trust, I know, I know your heart. I know that you're motivated. And I believe that you, uh, you're, there's a lot of progress, even if the, you know, progress, not perfection. And I see you can show me the text from time to time that you're actually following through and keeping in touch with Jonathan, then that's okay. I don't need to know every time. Okay. So, so I put that onus uh, on, on the partner in a sense. But I want to respect where they're at because there's a big range there. You know, some partners want to know, like, are hyper obsessed with every single detail to a degree that is very unhealthy. Yes. All the way over to, I don't want to know, man, just go get fixed. I don't want to hear your crap. Okay. Yeah. And that's why I asked, because um, in some instances, you know, they're, they, the, 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 the healthiest way that I've seen thus far and contradict me if I have this wrong, cause I might, is that it's important for the partner in the cases that I've dealt with. Usually it's the woman or the girl needs to know who the accountability partner is and to trust that person, knowing that that person is invested in their relationship, not just invested in helping the buddy or the brother or the friend out and, you know, keeping his secrets sort of thing. Right. So if I've got two close friends and I'm friends with both of them, I'm invested in their marriage in terms of, I badly wanted to succeed. Uh, I want to support them both. And so she knows that when I'm keeping him accountable, that I'm doing it for everybody involved. I'm not just, you know, 
covering him and helping him out, if that makes sense. Whereas for the people who want to know the specifics, like knowing what's on the front page of any of the major porn sites, I can't see my way around it being healthy to know the specifics because they're so horrifying in context that out of context, it's, I know a couple of examples where she wanted to know exactly what he was watching um, or seeing. And I'm not, I think that most people, including some calls I took the last eight weeks, uh, they don't, they, they just don't realize how vile and sordid this stuff is. And we don't need to get into that because we talked about that last show. But I think that the, the trauma of finding out that, okay, you know, there's porn here is sort of exacerbated sometimes to the point of them being sort of almost incapable of processing when they realizing that the mainstream stuff now is degrading and violent stuff that many of them had never even thought of. Right. Yeah. So your point about knowing the accountability person is not always possible, but it's certainly ideal. Let's say it's a mutual friend of a family, a couple friend, like let's say it's a couple friend and you know and trust and respect him. He's not struggling with this issue. And and maybe you even have the odd conversation with like, hey, is my you know, my husband still checking in with you? Yeah, he is. We're we're good, you know. So the relationship and the trust is already there. That's great. Uh, a lot of times men do not have a single close friend in their life, Jonathan. Really, eh? They have no single close friend in their life. They have nobody. So this is why it's important to join a group and get an accountability person or a sponsor in a group. So that's why if you join, let's say, uh, small groups online, and then they give you a WhatsApp app, and then you can show your partner, here's my WhatsApp group. And, you know, I don't want to let you read it because of the confidentiality, but, you know, this guy, Fred, see, we're texting. So that's what I have. Like you have to show her something observable mm. or she has no basis to have hope for your relationship, right? Okay. What, uh, as a tiny side tangent, and because that number shouldn't shock me, but it kind of does. Um, what, what would number? you... The, the the extent to which most men don't have a single close friendship. Is that a fairly recent development? Uh, I've been doing this 12 years and I'd say it's been this pretty much the same. I'd say it's about 50%. Really? Over the last 12 years. Yeah. And and this is um, probably slightly less in, in Christian circle. Like if you're a member of a faith community of any kind, it's probably uh, maybe 10 or 20% of them i'm just really ballparking here yeah because because you like if, if you if you actually go to church and you're involved like you're not just warm in the pew every sunday you you know some people right yeah and and so assuming that you you're not all under the cloud of shame that sometimes is, there's almost like a corporate like there's a cultural cloud of shame there's a corporate cloud of shame there's like even take a church or an institution there's almost like a uh, yeah, I would call it a, a a corporate cloud of shame that can permeate this whole conversation and make it hard, which is why, you know, I love the, the work you're really doing pioneering work in a sense, Jonathan, and like you're going in there and breaking up some hard ground, especially some of the churches you go into. You are plowing some hard ground, my friend. Okay, but this is important because we got to break up that hard soil until the ground so we can plant, you know, the, the seeds of safety, hope, vulnerability, healing, recovery. We got to plant those seeds or we're done. Our gener- The next generation will be the last. 
Okay. Cause we're, cause we're, we're just sending like the next generation of people in our churches are all there. Half of them at least are all going to be addicted to pornography and, and your spiritual vitality goes right out the window. Yeah. No, I've been saying this for, for years that porn poses the greatest internal threat to religious communities. And most haven't admitted that yet. Yeah. And, and our culture as well. It's not just religious community. I think it's, it's a, a social cancer of our culture right now and a public health crisis. I haven't used that term before. I'm using it now, right? So, okay, where are we? Yeah, so uh, for the guys and the girls listening, to double back to the first question and narrow in on one specific piece of advice you gave. So um, one of the things you said, what do you got to do? You got to make a plan, right? This is the first very tangible thing you've got to do. And so there's two kinds of guys. Um, there's the guys who really recognize, yes, this is a thing that I need to deal with right now. Um, and I need to do whatever it takes to get over this because I want this to be part of my past as soon as is like physically and physiologically possible. And I met a bunch of guys like that this year. It was very heartening. They basically said you, our goal is to be porn free by grad brain rewired. Um, and, and, and they, if they stick to it, they absolutely can't do that. There are other guys who will, because the girl was smart enough to ask about porn use, admit that they've looked at it. They're probably vague on the details. They're probably even vague. Um, on how strong the addiction is with themselves. I, I think self-deceit plays a huge role in this because a lot of people don't know how hard it is to quit until they try, yeah. right? You know, it's like there's a, speaking for myself, you know, like there's a million smokers out there who be like, I could quit whenever I wanted to. It's very easy to say when you've got a pack in the car. Um, and the same thing is true with porn, except it's even stronger because it's lighting up even even more primal parts of, of your frontal cortex. And so let's say this guy's a kick, I got to make a plan. Now, I'll give you two scenarios. One scenario is this guy stumbled around uh, across porn around the age of 10. Since that's the average age I'm seeing now, I've seen as young as five, got calls from kids who are five, uh, seven, eight. Eight has happened five or six times just in the last 24 months. 10 is pretty standard. Um, grade six is the norm. So one of the things, like, so 10 years ago, giving these talks, it was mostly guys, you know, 15, 16, 17. And it's kind of like, you need an accountability partner. You need one who's like, you know, invested in you is actually going to do all the stuff that it needs. Um, you need to talk to somebody, et cetera. At that age, I'm starting to become increasingly convinced that, that, that if you start at that age, you're probably going to need to do a couple of rounds with a coach, like a counselor, like yourself, <laughs> Because you kind of got like, you didn't even know what you were looking at when you looked at it. Your brain just grabbed it and didn't let go. But you, you don't even you you were exposed to it too early to be able to fully process what it was you were looking at. So the first scenario, the kid got addicted at age 10, 11 or 12. They're making a plan. What should their plan look like considering how young they were at first exposure? So how old would they be now? <clears throat> like 16? 16, 17, 18. Uh, those, that's the age of the vast majority of the kids I talk to. The main issue, Jonathan, is access. So I have conversations with people about this because something called pairing, right? So at a very young age, your very neuroplastic brain paired the black rectangle with the greatest chem neurochemical reward your brain can possibly produce. Okay, so that's very strong. So the black rectangle equals sexual gratification. That pairing happened, um, you know, I don't know how many times you have to masturbate to porn on your phone for the pairing to happen, but it's probably not more than 10. 
mm. are less than 10, let's say 10. And we're talking in most cases that people have done this hundreds and hundreds of times, if not thousands of times. Okay. So this is, this is what happens. You're sitting at home and uh, it's 730 at night and you're in your room and you're uh, doing some homework and you're out of the corner of your eye, your brain recognizes an object that brings a reward, the black rectangle. So it starts to go straight into anticipatory excitement in anticipation of the impending reward. And it starts to kick out dopamine to your brain. And this is experienced as a craving and it will punish you with a craving until you submit to it, okay? And you will never win this battle, guys. If you've been conditioned for four, two, three, four, five, six years already of masturbating to porn on your phone, you will not win this fight, okay? We might as well send Jonathan in here to the ring with Mike Tyson and bet, bet money on him that he's going to win. Even, even though Iron Mike is, what, 50 years old? I give you three seconds, Jonathan. That's long, okay. yeah. No, I hear I you. Don't care how, and listen, I don't care how sincere you are, Jonathan. I don't care how motivated you are. I don't care how good your intentions are. You're not beating Mike Tyson because he's dopamine and dopamine wins. So... First of all, clean up your phone. Get rid of all the downloads. For a lot of guys, this is, I'm going to speak heresy here, okay? Getting rid of social media, right? I'm going to get stoned to death for this. Deleting TikTok and Instagram. Instagram's uh, a big one. So many guys I know who have been clean got re-triggered yeah. on Instagram. You could have Instagram five years ago and avoid yeah. the crap. You can't anymore. And before you stole me to death, put those stones down. I want you to do that for six months, okay? You need to give your brain a fighting chance, okay? Or you got to get a filter on here like Covenant Eyes or Accountable to You or Net Nanny or something like that. And that's even that is is 50-50 because, you know, as you probably know, Jonathan, too, like people are really good at getting around that stuff, right? But it has value, okay? If you are really committed and motivated and accountable, and you can get a software that sends a report, like Covenant Eyes will block porn sites and send a report, maybe to your fiance, okay? This is called self-binding behavior. When we're talking about the psychology of habit change, we talk about self-binding behaviors. So we're putting a fence up so that we don't go off the rails easily, okay? So there's that. Then there's actually setting, you know, what I call your bottom lines. So for me in my recovery, my bottom lines are very clear and specific. I don't use pornography, don't masturbate. I don't engage in inappropriate contact with other women. And I keep no lies or secrets about my behavior. So there it is. So when you say, hey, Paul, how long have you been sober? I go 19 years. And that's exactly what that means. I just told you what it means. It means those four things. Okay. Not, yeah. I'm okay, you know, sometimes I have a day or a little struggle here and there. No, okay, it's not that. It's, these are my bottom lines. So be clear on your bottom lines, okay? Then you have to self-engage in self-binding behaviors. Like, don't take this, I used to run these online groups, like they're uh, 
the, the small groups online, but years are called uh, years ago, they're called triple X church. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I have these guys in my group, this one guy, I can think of his, I, I, I won't say his name, but Jonathan, it was this same conversation every week. I slipped up. Oh, what happened? Well, I was home alone at night in my bed with my phone. And then he looked at porn. And then the next week it'd be the same conversation. And then, and then I said one week, I said, what if you didn't take your phone to bed with you? Well, you know, and it's so simple that you wonder how people don't think of this, right? And, and anyways, he, what it came down to is he had to literally give his phone to his wife if she left the house and he was alone. He could not be home alone with his phone. Or he I've heard that phone. story a bunch of times. Yeah. Okay. So guys, this, this may be very shocking to you. Like when you, like, like, like Jonathan just said a minute ago, you don't realize how hard it is till you actually try to quit. And you may be shocked, dismayed, angry, sad, and a lot of emotions when you actually try to quit this and you realize that it's like this alien face hugger thing on your face that's got its tentacles down your throat you know that movie right right and but again there's hope and i help guys all the time quit but you have to come jonathan i remember the day i can still remember the day i realized personally me i can't be home alone in the house with a computer i will watch pornography and i they, they, i was very upset by that I was very uh, discombobulated. There's a word. You mm -hmm. haven't heard in a while. Okay. I hear it all the time. Yeah, no, you don't. You liar. <laughs> <laughs> and it really bothered me. I felt broken. I felt broken. Okay. But the moment I accepted that was the moment my recovery actually started to get some traction. So for example, now guys, this is 19 years ago. So it was a lot simpler back then, but this, this was my setup, okay? One computer that sat out in the open on a desk. If my wife went to work, I gave her the mouse, okay? She took the mouse and there was a filter on it and I had a flip phone and I had the TV locked down with parental controls. In other words, I limited, I eliminated my access. And, and I, I could not have started making progress until I had done that. Okay. And this takes, Jonathan, I see guys fight this for months and months and months and months. Okay. Because they won't admit it. So save yourself and your fiance or girlfriend six months of grief and just be like, yeah. I'm it's like step one. I'm powerless over my addiction and my life will become unmanageable. It doesn't mean that you have no power. Okay. What it means though, is that given the right set of circumstances, dopamine will win every time and you need to respect that. So set your bottom lines, have a plan. Okay. And deal with the access. Okay. My light just went out. So I'm waving over here. Deal with the access. And the get some support in a group. Sorry, my uh there you go. I got one on there. We go. Okay. 
Are people just listening to this or watching? This one they're listening to. Oh yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, so set your bottom lines, deal with your access, get some accountability and get a coach or a therapist. So that, that's sort of the essentials. And then educate yourself, right? The podcasts, the books, the resources and all of that stuff that's out there. That's kind of the quick version of that, right? But I'm really stressing the taking the ownership part here a lot because I've seen guys waste literally months and months of valuable time playing games with their addiction, right? Yeah, a little browsing on, you know, taking the phone to bed, a little browsing on the Instagram models, edging, what I call edging. Well, it's not Pornhub, but it's an Instagram model. Well, okay, I mean, listen, no shame. I get it. you're a heterosexual guy. You're, you're wired to notice hot babes on Instagram. Okay, that's fine. But given what you're dealing with, is this healthy for your recovery? And is it respectful if you have a girlfriend or a wife? Is how is that respectful to her? So they're gone. Delete them. Clean up. Just delete Instagram. And and it's only for let's say six months. Okay. Like I have all the social medias now, but I didn't for a long time. And and of course back then nineteen. I mean I've been sober nineteen years, so none of that stuff was around. I was going to say, what social media, what social media did you have 19 years ago? Like smoke signals? Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, well, nothing. Right. Because like I said, I had a flip phone. But even as I got into my recovery, you know, 10, like, like social media has been around what, 10 years? Right? Yeah. You know, roughly. And, and, I have Twitter, that. and I got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and, you know, I mostly use them for, for work and stuff. And, and, and actually, you know, I tell guys, listen, you can absolutely use Instagram to support your recovery. How? Well, okay, unfollow all the crap. Now, here's what you do. Follow me, follow Jonathan, follow all the big names in recovery, follow all the motivational quote people, follow healthy masculinity, follow the good Christian leaders you like. And now all of a sudden your phone is feeding you Stuff that's supporting your recovery. That's how you use social media. So uh, a question that's not four parts for a change is here's a question I have gotten half a dozen times this year alone. It's a very simple question. And it's a girl who's either, so actually in almost every, in in 80% of these instances, it was a girl who was dating a guy or about to date a guy. Uh, and the question is this, how can I trust him? So what's your prof- what's your professional opinion yeah. So, so when you, you mean in general, or do you mean in regards to whether? No, I mean in regards to they know they know that porn has been an issue. Oh, okay. So, again, you want to get clarity on what an issue actually means, okay? And then you need to start having a way to discuss this with the person. So, so you have a conversation that sort of goes like this. So, listen. I know that you, and I'll assume that he's lied to her about it, okay? Because by the way, guys, if you're listening to this, the worst, worst thing you can do in a relationship is lie. Never lie, okay? It's worse that it's worse than looking at porn. Every single partner I've talked to that I've asked what's worse, the porn or the lying, it's the lying without exception, okay? So if he's lied to her about it and broken her trust, you have to realize, guys listening, you have 
broken something that's very precious and very fragile. And now you need to earn it back. Okay. And so for the guy, you need to think of trust is lost in buckets and earned in drops. So here's the trust cup. Okay. So when you tell one lie, so there's, it's full of trust. She has all this trust for you. So I'm holding up a cup for those that can't see. And you lie to her, you did this. Okay, I'm turning the cup upside down. You did this, you emptied it all out in one lie. Okay, now to restore it, this is your eyedropper. Drip, drip, drip. Lost in buckets, restored in drops. I'm dripping eye drops. I'm drip. I'm dripping drips into the cup for those who can't see. So how long will that take? A long time. Okay. So rule of thumb, before you decide that you want to protect yourself by lying to her, just know that when she finds out you lied, and she will, it's now going to take her two years to trust you again. Two years. Years. Okay, two years. Now, having a conversation to restore trust is important. So as uh, the woman, it's okay for you to have what we call a check-in. Okay, and I teach guys how to do this. So uh, the onus is on the guy though. Because I don't want the partner working harder than him on his recovery. Okay, so the onus, the onus is always on the guy. And it goes like this. Hey, honey, I want to, well, first of all, how often do you want me to check in with you? Uh, once a week, every day? I want every day right now. My trust is at zero. I want every day. Okay, so uh, can we check in? Yeah, okay. I want you to know that I kept my bottom lines today. Uh, if you need to see my phone, here's, you know, no password for, you have the password. So here, here's my phone. And also, like, go through my social media together. We'll go through that. And you don't like her, 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 and her, immediately delete it and unfriend no problem. I respect if these people make you feel uncomfortable because I've damaged your trust and I want you to feel safe emotionally. So anything on here that makes you feel uncomfortable, I don't get to blame you for that because I caused it and I'm going to take that out. Right? So transparency, here's my phone, not deleting history. You want software that sends you a report of my activity, no problem. And Jonathan, like I've even had people like install keystroke loggers, you know, and, and because, because, you know, I deal with some pretty serious, complicated situations where, you know, they're in their 40s or married, they own a house and a rental property and RSPs, and they have four kids in a cottage, and they're not ready to just necessarily throw all that out the window, because it's very complicated to do that. But he's also lied and gaslit her and, and stuff for 15 years. Okay, so it's it so so that the trust is completely smashed to nothing. So we need to take some extreme me what seems like extreme measures, right? So if you need to put a key, yeah, so if you need to put a keystroke logger on my phone, so you literally can track every text I do. If that's what it takes, fine. The thing I uh, it's interesting what you said too. She will get you. Is I, I say this in every presentation, and I wish people understood this. You will get caught. Yeah. It might take fifteen years. I know somebody who got caught when they were in their mid forties. I know tons yeah. of guys who made it eight, nine years of marriage before they got caught. Everybody gets caught eventually. Mm -hmm. Most of them are all borderline relieved by the time they do. But yeah. everybody gets caught eventually. And mm -hmm. the, the thing that I try to tell couples uh, who are dating, 
put it this way, anybody who isn't married yet is that you have this golden opportunity right now to make sure your marriage doesn't look like the marriages of, I don't know how many people I've talked to in the last five years. Like we could spend six hours just giving whole marriage horror stories and you've got, you know, 10 times as many as I do because you deal with them in the office. Um, and so aside from just, I want to underline your point there that, that everybody gets caught eventually. So like yeah. lying right now, what you're basically doing is adding to the stack of crap that you're going to get caught for. Um, and so it's really not worth it. You're not even, you're not even delaying the pain much is to end on an encouraging note. Cause you've got a hard cutoff uh, for before your next meeting, the encouraging note I wanted to end on one of the things I always say in my presentations, but I'd, I'd like you to add to it from a professional perspective is everybody I know who's been hooked on porn, even those hooked for years, even the kids who got hooked when they were six, seven, eight, everybody I know who's committed, actually committed to quitting has successfully done. So I know tons of guys who came in and talked to me who are still looking at porn. Um, but it's because they were never really committed. They fell off the wagon when they found out they had to get a filter or when they had to get rid of their smartphone or when they realized uh, in one instance that, um, they weren't going to be able to have a, a drink or two on Friday night because that were going to, that was going to lower their inhibitions enough. I told them like, if you do that, you, sorry, like you're too addicted. Like that's all it takes for you not to care anymore. And boom, you'll be back at it. And like they, as far as I know, they're still looking at porn because they just wouldn't give up that thing that, that was enabling the addiction. Um, so if I'm a, I'm a, let's say I'm a 17 year old guy right now. Uh, I just realized listening to this, um, that I've probably been lying to myself about the addiction. Uh, I've learned a bunch of stuff about brain science that I'm very uncomfortable with because it's made yeah. me realize what my, my brain probably looks like. Yeah. Um, what's something encouraging that you can tell me? Is it possible to quit, to rewire? Is this, is, is being completely free of pornography and avoiding all the scenarios we just spent 45 minutes talking about? Is that really possible? Oh, hundred percent, Jonathan. I, I help guys quit all the time. And I, you know, if I didn't have rules about confidentiality, I could give you a big list of guys that are years free of all these behaviors. Okay. But it's going to take work and effort and a plan and a system. And, you know, sometimes it's not just a straight upward line like this. There's a few setbacks and twists and turns down the road. Like in my own journey, I took, um, well, first, it never entered my mind. I was a porn addict, strangely enough. That, that was just not something I thought of. And then uh, I got caught and got kicked out of my house for a weekend. And then I came back. And then I sort of smartened up. But then I got worse. And then a year later, I got kicked out again. And, you know, and then that was three months. And, you know, then then we got back together. And, like, so, you know, I'm about as thick-headed and, and dumb as they come when it comes to that. And, and I finally, 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 you know, that moment I talked about, I realized I, I can't be home alone with a computer and look at porn. Like I am an addict. Right. And uh, I, you know, I had very little faith in my ability to quit porn. I'll tell you, honestly, the idea of never looking at porn for the rest of my life seemed unattainable and overwhelming to me. So I want to speak, you know, a lot of people listening to this will feel that way. But I'll tell you something. This is the trick. You don't have to be porn free for 50 years. Okay. You just got to be porn free for 24 hours. And everyone can do that. Or you're porn free for 12 hours. Or you're porn free for one hour. Or you're porn free for five minutes. It doesn't matter. 
But when I started to do it one day at a time, that's when it became very manageable for me, right? I just have to be porn free today. And that's how you have to think about it. But absolutely, um, you know, there's hope. But but also stories like what you said of guys that, for whatever reason, aren't committed, not ready to give it up. They come see me one, two, three times and they're gone. And I never see them again. And I assume that, you know, I don't know what happened to them. I assume that they probably continue to, you know, engage in their behavior because they weren't ready to give up their addiction. I mean, some people will choose their addiction over everything. That's one of the definitions of addiction is giving up everything for one thing. And recovery is giving up one thing for everything. So do you want to, do you want to give up everything for one thing or do you want to give up one thing and get everything back? That's your choice. That's right. a good line to end on. Uh, final question. Uh, can you remind everybody once again where they can reach you? Yeah, sure. So uh, email is the best way. So turning point, one word, the number four, me at gmail.com, turning point for me at gmail.com. Um, uh, you can call 705-868-8896. Uh, leave a message, leave your email, and uh, I'll get back to you. And uh, I'm still, uh, you know, reach out. I'm taking on a client. I'm basically booked for the rest of the year, entire year. But, uh, you know, I have spots that open up all the time and I got a wait list and I can get you on there and, uh, you know, at least get you started and, and get you the help that you need. Um, so, yeah. And thanks again, Jonathan, for having me and for doing this, for doing the work you're doing and, and getting the word out there because we need we need we need a net. We need an alternative narrative out there in our culture that. Um, challenges this that it's it's become so normal and accepted and it's so toxic and so unhealthy and it's destroying so many lives and so many relationships ladies and gentlemen that was my conversation with a registered psychotherapist paul laverne thank you so much for tuning in this week if you want to listen to past shows or subscribe for future shows head over to lifesitenews.com click on the podcast tab you will find us there or wherever you get your podcast content Thanks so much for listening.